0: Mr. Landreth, gotta, gotta slow down there, Mr. Landreth in the uh, black shirt uh, will be your teacher today. Mr. Landreth, Jared Landreth. Guys, funny story though, Jared's name is spelled with two R's. So when Siri says his name, it's Jard, not Jared. <laughs> Fun fact. Sorry, Jared. Love you, man. (laughs) All right, so as you can tell, I am not Ronnie Roberts. There's a height difference, there's an age difference, there's an overall look difference. Hopefully I look much better than he does. Ronnie, I know he's watching this, so I gotta take my jabs while I can. He comments on my shortness about every time he can, so I've gotta get him in while I can. I I didn't know what to title this sermon. Actually, Eric messaged me yesterday and said, do you have a title for this? And I was like, "Uh, I didn't even think about that. Um, uh, What I kind of landed on was, so you thought 2021 was gonna be different than 2020. So you thought thought 2021 was gonna be different than 2020, and there's obviously all kinds of things that pop into our head when it comes to uh, that statement alone, but hopefully as we get into this, you'll kind of see... What I'm talking about, but Friday at 11 o'clock, I uh, I I don't know. I was doing something, checked my phone, realized that Ronnie had tried to FaceTime me, and he said, and so I I, I said, okay, I'm gonna FaceTime back. I had thought that he was just gonna ask me about uh, his sermon because we had FaceTime earlier in the week in the evening uh, because he had some questions about uh, his sermon. We just were talking through some things. Um, the series we're getting ready to start is is a really important one for a lot of different reasons and he is unbelievably excited to start that out and so i thought that's what he was facetiming me about i facetimed him back and quickly realized that that was not what he was facetiming me about he was facetiming me because uh, somebody uh, that he was in close contact with last week tested positive so then we had to figure out what we were going to do do moving forward with uh, with him preaching so we'd, we'd thrown around a couple different ideas. And there came a moment where I just out of nowhere just said, well, worst case scenario, I'll just, I'll just preach. You know, I'll just preach. And like in that moment, I felt like one of those movies where like the soul comes out for a second and is questioning the, the statement that you just made <laughs> and was like, what if he says yes, <laughs> right? Like what if he says, hey, it's Friday, Sunday you're preaching. And, uh, and I'm gonna be straight with you like, that that came into my head. Quickly, my soul re-entered my body, and we finished the conversation. And at 12.01-ish, somewhere in there, I know that's very specific, but I looked at my FaceTime to check. He messaged me back, said, hey, you're preaching Sunday. So, yeah, yeah here we are. Um, my initial reaction was not necessarily a good one, right? It's one that I think a lot of us might be familiar with. It was, well, you only have this much time, so... Who cares if it's actually good, you know? And uh, who cares if, you, if your sermon's actually good, right? It, like we do this a lot when it comes to like procrastination, right? It's a built-in excuse. So if I sandbag enough as, as I get close to the deadline, then I've got a built-in excuse why I didn't uh, perform or meet expectations or whatever the case may be. Uh, but quickly I felt, I don't know. Obviously I, I, you have to attribute to the Holy Spirit, but I felt this conviction like, this isn't a time for an excuse. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't remember the last time I was up here. And I, I say that like in my heart like there, it's kind of a negative thing, but it's a really good problem to have because we've got some excellent guys that stand up and preach uh, besides Ronnie. We've got Caleb. We've got Kevin. I know there's elders in here that have all preached from this stage before. And if you go to other churches, that's not something you necessarily see very often. And so me not being able to be up here regularly isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I couldn't remember the last time I was up here. And so if we truly believe God is in control and that certain things happen for a reason, then why can't this be one of those situations, right? And so that was kind of the, the, the approach I took. And so quickly, um, I'd kind of, I, you know, honestly, it came very clearly. What, what, are you gonna, what are you gonna teach on? What are you gonna preach on? What are you gonna talk about? And uh, there's been some things that I've been working through as this last year has kind of winded down. I think everyone, just with the way that the year went, I think everybody's in that position where they're working through some things. They're a little bit more aware of certain things going on. And so I, I'm no different. And so I was working through some things, and, it, and, it, and the, the topic as well as the text came into my head very, rather quickly. And so if you have your Bibles open up to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. We will have the text up on the screen because I'm using the New Living Translation. It's a translation that I use a lot with my students, and as I uh, searched for which translation I liked the best, uh, or I I should say that I felt was most appropriate, this one just really stood out to me because of the simplicity of it. Normally, I would preach from the English Standard Version. That's just a bonus, I guess. Um, But... Uh, This passage comes right at the tail end of a section of scripture we call the Sermon on the Mount. or not. I shouldn't say we call the Sermon on the Mount, it is the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples, and honestly, this is a passage that I think a lot of us will be familiar with. And and we may not even be aware that we're familiar with, with this exact passage, but we've definitely heard these words spoke before. But before we actually get into it, I want to make sure you understand a couple things. One, how I preach is I use the text as my outline. So I will read a little bit, I will unpack what I just read, I will make my point, and then I'll move on to the next one. So keep that Bible open, make sure you're looking at it, and just be ready for that. The other thing is the topic that uh, came to my head is, is difficult, not because it's hard to understand. I'll be honest with you, it's not a particularly... Part of why I chose this passage is because it is, in fact, simple. But what makes this passage difficult is the fact that when we talk about things like pride or humility or whatever the case may be, we often think of other people instead of thinking about how this affects us. Does that make sense? Like we, We often, instead of thinking, man, where have I fallen short when it comes to this particular topic, we turn or we, our head goes to, well, if this person does this, or man, this person really needs to hear this. I wish they were here. Or, you know what I'm saying? Go down the list uh, of, of the excuses or the things that our heads often go to. But what I want to do is urge you to fight against that with every fiber of your being this morning. Fight against thinking about other people and, man, really think about how this affects you. Maybe how you have fallen short, or honestly, there are people that when it comes to certain things like humility, uh, which is going to be kind of our main topic for today, um, th- it, it kind of comes natural to them. It's a spiritual gift, for lack of a better term, uh, something that, that, that might come natural. And praise God for that. If you're somebody that does not struggle with this, man, that's awesome. Um, but most of us do. <laughs> so, so give us some grace there. That's my little one, by the way. She does that a lot. Um, so if you have your Bibles, again, like I said, seven, I'm gonna start right off the rip with verse one. It says this, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you are judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, obviously, when you get into different translations of this, they, they, they move a couple words around and so it becomes a little bit more difficult to understand. I think this one just is the most, is the simplest one that we can come to. But I also think, uh, that it's one that we might have heard before. Do not judge, right? Do not judge, or you will be judged. Um, and we oftentimes use this to communicate about different things, but as I kind of dug into this passage, it, it's a very simple statement. It, it, it honestly, on the surface, doesn't mean much more than what it says. But oftentimes when you get into the Bible, it's not as simple as how it sounds. And that's because the, the, the whole thing was translated from ancient languages that we don't even use anymore. And so right off the rib, one of the first things I like to do besides look at what's surrounding the passage is start to dig into the words themselves. And the word that's repeated over and over again here is this word judge or judged, right? The word, the Greek word is the word krino. You wanna say that with me, krino? Krino, there you go, you learned your first Greek word. Okay, so it's a Greek word, krino, and the, the, uh, the sad reality is it doesn't mean much different than what we think it means. It means judged, to separate, to approve, to be of opinion, or to determine. So it's a very, very simple word, doesn't mean much more than what we think it might mean, exactly how it's translated is what it is. But as I kind of was unpacking what this word meant through some of the resources that I have, I found a, a reference to a article, and it I realized really quickly that it was a, a, a commentary set that uh, Ronnie had in his office, so I ran down there, grabbed it real quick, opened it up, and it blew my mind. The, the short little article that I had, I had found uh, gave us some very big insight into this word, and, and not just this word, but this passage itself. The article dealt with how a Jewish person would have viewed judgment. Jesus, One of the most important things when we read the scriptures is not just, what does this mean to me? But what did this mean to the people that Jesus was communicating to? And in this moment, Jesus is communicating to mostly Jewish people. And so when he comments about things like adultery earlier in the passage, when he comments about things uh, um, like anxiety or or being worried about things, when he comments things about murder, he's addressing very specific issues that uh, these Jewish people would have been dealing with. And right here is no differently. There's two things that stand out to me about how a Jewish person would have viewed judgment. The first one is that it's almost a karma-like thinking. Basically, you get repaid for the works that you have done. And so in their opinion, when, in their mind or their opinion, uh, if somebody didn't obey the law, then God was going to uh, cast judgment on them. And we actually see this play out in John chapter 9 when Jesus heals the blind man one of the questions that was asked of him is what did this man's parents do or what did he do to become like this? And Jesus squelched that out very quickly because one of the biggest issues with this train of thought, and I'm sure you've all asked this question before, is why do bad things happen to good people or why do good things happen to bad people? Trying to find a specific reason as to why these things happen to somebody And trying to base that off of the work that they have done is kind of an endless pursuit. And so it creates a lot of problems in the minds and hearts of people, especially the Jewish people, when that is the way that they think. And this, this wasn't just like, and the hard thing with this too, is much like a lot of things, this wasn't just something that a few people believed, this was something that was handed down from generation to generation. Jewish people believed this for thousands of years, not just a short amount of time. The second way in which they viewed judgment was, again, much how we would view judgment is that there's going to be a final judgment where you stand before God. Because they couldn't always trans, like, transfer, okay, or, or I guess trace back, this is when a person did this and this is what caused this punishment to happen, they had to come up with something else and obviously that was this final judgment that someone was going to stand before God and basically atone for those sins. And so in this article, he, he kind of unpacks this in the way that he words it, I think, is so important because that mixed with how they already view judgment taking place here on earth caused lots of problems in the Jewish uh, individual's mind. And he said it like this, and I want to make sure I'm going to read it verbatim. The worrying concern of the Pharisaic, meaning the Pharisees' religion, was to stand in the judgment to achieve marriage which would outweigh sins. But the Pharisees found it hard to achieve any certainty in this matter. He tended to go back and forth with an arrogant confidence in his good works, which blinded him to his own sinfulness or a hopeless fear of God's wrath, which was often not expressed. What he just said there was that more often than not, the the individuals in, in the Jewish nation would err on the side of arrogance and confidence in their works, rather than this fear that also could come from this uncertainty or a hopeless fear uh, of God's wrath, which was often not expressed. This line right here, man, just hits hard. His religion was not the force that sustained his life. It was the open wound from which he suffered. His religion was not the force that sustained his life. It was the opened wound from which he suffered. Church, I want to tell you this. I think that right now, this body as well as bodies all across this nation have some open wounds that need to be addressed. There are some open wounds that I think are plaguing our church, plaguing our nation, plaguing, you name it, it's plaguing it, and it has to be dealt with. And so kind of, as to, to kind of illustrate this point, I want to, read some statements that I wrote down that I think, how do I I word this appropriately? That would sum up our 2021 or things that we've heard over and over again uh, throughout 2021. And as I do this, I'm not looking for a a verbal response or anything like that, but I want you to just think about them and how you hear these statements and what, what happens in here when you hear those statements, what happens in here when you hear these statements. Black Lives Matter, I voted for Donald Trump. I believe that COVID-19 is a real threat. Fake news is a real thing. Blue Lives Matter, I voted for Joe Biden. Not wearing a mask is dangerous to our society. I believe COVID-19 is a hoax. I believe in common sense gun control. Police, Police brutality against black people is a serious issue. I believe common sense gun control is keeping your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Right? These statements, we've heard them over and over again, all over social media, all over the news, all over the things that we ingest in that we have to develop and make opinions on constantly but one of the biggest wounds that is plaguing churches all across the country is that we use these statements to make judgments about the character nature and even salvation of our fellow brothers and sisters in christ and that is a serious problem for a lot of different reasons mainly the bible Now, I want to make sure I I clarify this. I am not saying that you cannot have an opinion about these issues. I'm not saying that you should not communicate your opinion about these issues. But what I am saying is that these issues do not determine a person's salvation. Period, exclamation point. I could walk off the stage and I could defend that statement until I die and I would have no qualms with it. Jesus is the only thing, only person that determines whether or not we have a relationship with God and if we have right standing with Him. That's it. Okay. So the point I want to make is this God is the judge, and there is no jury. He does not need us to defend political and social issues, in order to save people. What he needs us to do is communicate the gospel and live with humility in our daily lives. First and foremost, questioning someone's character, integrity, competency, or even standing with God because you disagree on these things is exactly what Jesus is getting at here Instead of the law being your benchmark, you have made social and political issues your benchmark. It's not okay. We cannot be like that, especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should strive for unity at all costs. Again, it's not to say that we can't have opinions about these things. I think we can and we should doesn't mean that we can't vote on these things. It doesn't mean that we can't have conversations about these things. That's not what I'm saying. I wanna make sure I clarify that. So what do we do when we feel these things creeping in? What do we do when we feel these thoughts starting to provoke emotions or opinions about people that we shouldn't have necessarily? Well, I'm glad you asked because the uh, Bible has some good answers for that. And this text does too. In verse three, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye When you have a log in your own, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you cannot see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In college, there was a class that I took, it was called Principles of Interpretation. Uh, Man, it's one of my favorite classes, to be honest with you. I paid way too much for college to really have one class that impacted the rest of my ministry. (laughs) I honestly could say I could probably have only taken that class and still ended up where I'm at today, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm thankful for it. But the professor's name was Chad Ragsdale, and part of the class was you put together this major exegesis project. It's what I have before you. We literally spent the whole, I spent the whole uh, spring semester that year or fall semester that year studying Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. The whole class was developed around how to study the Bible. That was the whole purpose of it. And so you used a passage, and then as he kind of went through the curriculum that he developed, you learned how to study the Bible, you learned how to do word studies, understand context, go down the list. Uh, The class was called Principles of Interpretation. On this major exegesis project, I put Principals of Interpretation man, I got marked off for that. I still killed it on this, but I have a hard time looking at this and not seeing that, right? But one of the things that he got up and said right off the, right off the rip, right, off, right, right out of the gate that I think was just, that has just stuck with me the whole time, and I think it's appropriate when uh, understanding this passage, is he said, you know, on this campus, one of the things that is often taught when it comes to interpreting the Bible is that context- is king meaning the most important part of understanding what the scriptures mean and understanding what they say and how we apply those things to our life is what did it mean to the audience it was intended uh, for which is unbelievably true uh, and this is what he said it's unbelievably true he said but I think that context is important but humility is king humility is king I, I, I tried to make sure that, that uh, he, he put, uh, there it is right there, that he had the K lowercase. Because like, like I said before, Jesus is king, shout out Kanye West, but Jesus is king. Uh, humility is lowercase king. Uh, humility is as defined as freedom from pride or arrogance, a modest or low view of one's own importance or humbleness. To me, if there's one spiritual discipline to rule them all, It is humility. It is humility. More often than not, Jesus, when he speaks, even when we go into the Sermon on the Mount, more often than not, what he's addressing is humility. This understanding that you may not be as good as you think you are. Oh, you haven't killed somebody. That's great. Have you hated somebody in your heart? Well, then you missed it. Oh, you haven't slept with your friend's wife. Good for you. You shouldn't do that anyways. Have you lusted after somebody in your heart? Yeah, okay. So more often than not, when Jesus addresses his people, living with humility and compassion should be a benchmark of the Christian life. And when we think that we have it all figured out, especially when it comes to things (laughs) that are outside of God's word, I think we miss it. I think we let pride get in the way. Uh, I actually had kind of a funny, uh, I guess, run in with this in my own life recently. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the Twisted Tea uh, meme that's been floating around all over the place. If you haven't, I'll just briefly describe it to you. I'm not going to say you should look it up, but if you want to look it up, you can. Uh, Basically, this guy's in a gas station. He's hurling some pretty bad insults at another guy and the other guy's holding a twisted tea, which is a drink in his hand. It's a big can, like this big. And he's, he's flipping it around, and he's getting angry just by the second. You can see it in the video. And he drops the tea, and he had had enough at this point, And he grabs the tea, and in one motion, smashes it across this guy's face in the middle of this store. There's been all kinds of funny memes and stuff that have come out from this, but I remember my first reaction to that video was how could somebody do that to somebody else? Like, how could somebody just smash a a can into somebody's face? But then I just felt, like literally in the same breath, I just felt, Matt, you can do that. How many times have Matt, and this is again, this is me talking to myself, how many times have you flown off the handle angry about something that has little to no importance? And this guy's actually getting his getting insults hurled at him that were pretty bad. You you can do that. That same ugliness that you just witnessed is within you too. And so when he reads this, and when we approach any situation, we have to come to it with that understanding is If it's something that we're seeing that is actually dark, is it something that we're seeing that is is a problem in the way that somebody is thinking or acting or being, we must first realize that that same ugliness, that same brokenness is within us. Our entire faith, the crux of who we are as Christians, is that we were so broken that Jesus had to come and die in our place and raised from the dead that is the crux of what we believe and how we should view everything every situation that we come into is through the lens of our own brokenness and the grace of God intervening on our behalf because if it wasn't for that where would we be? where would we be? so kind of as I wrap this up I want to, what does this mean for you and me? I want to make sure I say this because, again, people have used this passage to negate accountability or judgment often. But notice that in the passage it does not say, don't remove the speck from your brother's eye. It doesn't say that. It says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see enough with the s- See enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This passage has been misused far too long to try to get out of accountability. But at the end of the day, the way that John Piper put it was, speck picking is the scope of the Christian church. That as Christians, we must not just hold each other accountable, but when we see something that, we do, that doesn't make sense to us in the life of a fellow believer, in humility, approach them and ask them why or gain clarity or point that out. But humility must come first. And here's kind of an illustration that I want to point out to make this. On Monday through Thursday over at JC Naz, there's a group of us that meet and work out. It's called Lion Chasers. I don't know where the name came from. It sounds cool, I guess, but lion chasers. And we meet and we work out, uh, as we get there between 645 and, or 545 and seven, or 545 and six, man, I'm way off there. 545 and six, if this is something that is part of your New Year's resolution, come join us. Uh, we're usually done about 650. We read some scripture and pray together, and then we, we go our separate ways. It's really, really profound, and it's impacted me, honestly, greatly. Um, I, I really love working out with those guys. But, being honest with you, we don't mess around. We work out very hard. We lift heavy. We get our heart rates up. It's, it's not, again, like I said, we don't mess around. We do play spike ball from time to time, Ty. Shout out Ty over there. Um, but we, we have a good time. But the point that I want to make is this, is that one of the things that oftentimes can take away from us working out, oh, um, a couple of us who, who have been lifting for quite a while, is when we see our, bro- our, our brothers that are lifting with us And we might see a form flaw. I don't know if you know this, but it's really easy to get hurt working out if you're not doing things properly. And so if someone's doing a deadlift and their back is arched over and and they're just lifting with all their, basically just their back, or they're not doing a a squat properly, or they're not benching properly, then we take time to point that out. I mean, honestly, I have a couple middle school students that I, I don't think I see either of them here today, but I have a couple middle school students that have been showing up that have no background in weightlifting, what kind of person would I be if I watched them with terrible form as they're still developing, just let that go? Right? And so we stop and we say, hey, maybe you need to pull down that weight a little bit, you need to fix this, that, and the other, and we give some instruction. I think the same thing has to be in the culture and nature of our churches, where we're willing as a family, as a group of people who love jesus together who walk humbly pull each other aside and say hey there's something something a little off here is everything okay or hey i've seen kind of this going on you know i'm not sure that that really models what it what it, what it means to be a christian john piper was uh, asked how can we have any type of certainty if we have a lo- if we know that there's a possibility of us having a log in our own eye And he said this, The prerequisite for taking a speck out is not certainty, but scripture-saturated, spirit-dependent humility. Scripture-saturated, spiritually-dependent humility. The aim of this passage is not to overcome blindness. It is to overcome blindness in our pride that keeps us from being lovingly helpful to our brothers and sisters in Christ." And so as we kind of, as I kind of wrap this up, and again, we're gonna, we're gonna have an opportunity to uh, reflect on some of this here in a second. I wanna ask you that throughout the, although 2021 doesn't seem to have started any different than 2020, and honestly, I pray to God that in more ways than just one, it is. And I hope this is one of them. And my challenge to you as a family as the body of First Christian Church, as Christians, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, throw off the pride, get rid of the self-righteousness that entangles and hinders and, man, just brings down relationships within and outside of this building. Our relationships inside and outside of this building need to be defined by gospel-centered, biblical humility And if you don't have a a goal or a resolution, maybe you don't believe in those things, maybe this could be it. How can I pursue humility? How can I pursue giving my brothers and sisters of Christ the benefit of the doubt? How can I pursue asking the next question when it comes to engaging my brothers and sisters in Christ over things that I see that maybe not line up with the scriptures? How can I do these things? Again, 2021 maybe doesn't, hasn't started off differently, but that doesn't mean that it has to keep going this way. Let me pray, and then we're going to get into our time of communion. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me to communicate out of your word. I'm going to be honest with you. I was, uh, it was a tough one to prepare for, not because uh, things were overly complicated, but because I knew this issue would cut to the heart of many, and Lord, I ask that it would. I ask that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you would teach us through your word. Lord, there's so much that we could talk about and so much that we could get at, but Lord, we know that at the end of the day, your grace is sufficient, that your mercy is overwhelming, and Lord, that at the end of the day, that is what needs to define us as Christians, not our own pride, our own self-righteousness, our own opinions, but your word and your spirit working throughout through us. Lord, I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.